0: you cheer for me. It makes me think you love me. It does. I love you, Ellie Blau. Um, So it's my privilege to introduce today's chapel speaker. Uh, Hey, Will. Um, Andy Jones is the founder and CEO of a marketing agency called Roundtree Agency based out of Chattanooga. Before starting Roundtree, he was the director of development and marketing at the Chalmers Center here on the mountain. Prior to that, he pastored Peace Presbyterian Church in Cary, North Carolina, and sometime in his youth, he left his childhood home of Birmingham, Alabama, and secured a bachelor's degree in biblical studies from the Master's College in Southern California, and then an MDiv from RTS Jackson. During those early years, he held various versions of the obligatory youth pastor positions and pastoral internships. He has three amazing children emma Elliot, and daniel but what you really need to know what truly embodies andy's brilliance is the fact that 20 years ago last august he married me i know i am kind of a catch now i know what you're thinking chaplain lowe who is supposed to speak today uh, has been a bit busy with the sizable tree or trees laying across his lawn due to the storms we had on Tuesday night. He's fine, by the way. And in a moment of bewilderment, I talked him into letting my husband speak in chapel. That's kind of true, but you must know that Andy is actually one of the best preachers I've ever heard. And my uh, sample size is huge because I stand back there every chapel. So without further ado, please give an extremely warm Scott's welcome to my husband.
1: Well, good morning, Scott's. It is good to be with you. Um, it is a rare moment when my wife and I are in the same room and I get the last word. So I think, oh. I'll redeem the moment. So 22 years ago, this time of a, sem- in this semester, one of my friends came to me, one of my fellow college uh, students came to me and was moaning and begroning this young lady on campus who had rejected his romantic overtures repeatedly, and that he felt like she was not just rejecting him, but that she was being mean and unjust in the way she was handling the situation. So being the zealous advocate I was for my friend, I confronted this young lady in our college cafeteria and insisted that she answer for her crimes. And now, 22 years later, we're married, we got three kids, and things have turned out splendidly. But I want to take this opportunity, Steve Tyson, wherever you are today, whatever it is you're doing in the world, my apologies for stealing the girl of your dreams, um, but I have absolutely no regrets because it's turned out wonderful, so there you go. So the, the moral of the story is confront, guys, confront your friends, you know, the people that they are rejected by because that's going to be the mother of your children, so there you go, that's the that's the moral of the story, right? It, even though I have to go back 22 years, I can somewhat remember what it's like to be a college student. And my guess is the end of the semester is drawing near. It's not getting farther away. It's getting closer. And so there are certain things pressing in on your mind, perhaps, right? Books that need to be read, papers that need to be written, exams that need to be studied for, perhaps chapel summaries that need to be submitted to a lovely lady. You have all these things. You see the light at the end of the tunnel, and you're just praying it's not an oncoming train that's going to run over you, right? And so this morning, what we're going to do is to look at a subject from the Bible that might just be timely and relevant to this point in the semester, and that is the subject of sloth. (laughs) What happens when you get lazy, okay? And perhaps you will find some relevant uh, inspiration as you look towards the end of the semester. But we're going to look at a passage that you might be familiar with. It's from the book of Proverbs, chapter 24. And it starts in verse 30, and hear these words uh, from the Bible, Proverbs 24, starting in verse 30. It says, I went past the field of the sluggard, past the vineyard of the man who lacks judgment. Thorns had come up everywhere, the ground was covered with weeds, and the stone wall was in ruins. I applied my heart to what I observed and learned a lesson from what I saw, a little sleep a little slumber, a little folding of the hands to rest, and poverty will come upon you like a bandit, and scarcity like an armed man. Well, the grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of God stands forever. Pray with me. Gracious God, we pray that every time we get to hear your word, it would delight us, it would revive us, it would prepare us for the good work you have for us to do. And that's our prayer this morning. And to this end, we ask of you, fill us with your Holy Spirit, that he would guide us into the truth, that he would convince us, convict us, that he would conform us into the image of Jesus Christ, in whose name we ask this. Amen. So even going farther back than my college career, uh, the most memorable class I ever took in high school was biology. And the reason it was the most memorable class of my high school career is because I took it twice. Uh, That that wasn't like a regular version than the AP version. Okay, it was like the remedial version two times in a row. This wasn't part of some honors program I was a part of, but rather it was because I failed biology in high school. I failed it. Now, anybody can fail biology. All right, that's not that hard. But it takes a particular talent to fail it the way I did. Because all you needed in this class was a 65 or better to get the D, right? That's our goal get to the D. Get to the D and move on. But I managed to bring home to my parents a report card that had for biology a 64, right? And so there was never a prouder moment in my parents', you know parenting than I'm sure that very moment, that it took a lot of work, but I came in just under the bar. I snuck into an F. And so there I was, failing it, having to take it again. Now, in my own defense, I like to think that because of that year in high school, I was somewhat under the influence of fumes, car fumes and perfumes to be exact. Uh, I was what you might call distracted, okay? But there really is a deeper reason, as I look back, as I've had the maturity of a few decades since that moment, to look back and realize what was really at work when I failed biology. And that was, I hated it. That's what happened. (laughs) I hate biology. I I don't get its value. I don't get its meaning. As I sat there in that 10th grade year, I could not foresee any potential usefulness for this subject matter for the rest of my life. I could not see how dissecting a frog was really going to come back and be useful later in life. It, it seemed like the most insignificant subject in my high school career, and I treated it like the most insignificant subject of my high school career. Now, I know out there today there are some of you who perhaps biology majors, perhaps we even have a biology professor in here today, And I just want to assure you, God loves you, okay? He loves you. He's going to use you, okay? But you're a little weird, okay? You just need to know that too, okay? But I thought biology was meaningless. And I treated it as meaningless. And unfortunately, my teacher gave me the grade that I deserved in that class. And so I got to spend a whole other year with her. And we got to know each other better. But I... But when the Bible speaks of sloth, it would have us think of something like my experience with biology, and that is we all have some aspect of our life that God has put into our life that we just don't really see the value of, that we just really, it's hard to see the meaningfulness of it. And so what do we tend to do with it? We tend to avoid it, push it off and we just don't treat it with any investment of energy or attentiveness. We just don't see why it matters. What's the big deal? In the passage we heard read this morning, that's what's going on in Proverbs 24. Does it really matter what happens with my vineyard? Does it really matter? What's the big deal? I just don't see the value of having to care for it. Now, the Bible says that we all have this tendency, right, to look at certain aspects of our lives And when we think of sloth, we we tend to only think of it as it relates to one aspect of our life, that when we think of sloth, we think about a paying job, somebody who won't go to work to get a paycheck. But the Bible forces us to think bigger about sloth, that there are other parts of our lives besides our vocation in which we don't invest the energy that God calls us to. It could be your relationship with your roommate. It could be your relationship with your folks back home. It could be your biology class this semester. (laughs) It it could be your personal finances. It could be your physical health and well-being. It could be your sexual purity. That there are parts of your life that you look at and you're like, you know what? It's not worth the hassle. It's not that big of a deal. But the Bible reminds us this morning that everything has meaning that God has introduced into our lives, and that we need to value what He values. Now, let me just say, as we think about the world in which we're living today, that the culture in which we live right here, 21st century America, is struggling. People are struggling to find any aspect of life that makes them feel meaningful, that they find valuable. This came out this week in a big report from two Princeton professors. The, the mortality rate among white middle-class people in America between the age of 45 and 55 is going up. And it has been. Where all other segments of society have plateaued or gone down in mortality rate among that age group, white middle class is going up. And the research by these professors concludes here's the reason why. Despair. That was their conclusion. Despair. They said that people are living on chemical crutches. Alcohol, prescription medication, other things. And the rate of suicide among that segment is going up. Why? People don't see any part of life as meaningful anymore. And so they're looking for something that makes it feel alive. We're living in a world that's struggling to feel like any part of life is meaningful, and maybe you identify with that. Maybe that's been real for you. As a Christian, let me just say this. I believe the Bible teaches this. If Jesus Christ is not who the Bible says he is then let's eat, drink, and be merry, because tomorrow we die. That's the truth. If, if the Bible isn't true, if Jesus Christ isn't who he says he is, then l- let's, let's just eat, get hammered, and have a good time, because we're staring nothingness in the face. But of course, as a Christian, as an ordained minister, I stand before you this morning to declare that Jesus Christ is risen from the dead that he is Lord of all. And because he is Lord of all things, all things matter. And he is reconciling, redeeming, and renewing all things. And he's invited us to be part of that. And because of that, all things in our lives now matter and have meaning. And so this morning, I just want to quickly look at two aspects of sloth. And that is understanding it, where does it come from, what does it look like, and then overcoming it. How do we get over that? How do we look at life differently as Christians? But what does it mean to understand sloth? Well, this passage gives us a good uh, picture of what sloth looks like. You know, sloth is listed in church history typically as one of the seven deadly sins. And it's called the coldest of the seven deadly sins, because all the other sins have some element of passion to them. Lust, greed, envy. But not so with sloth. Sloth is there's no temperature on it whatsoever, right? It's turned all the way off. Because in sloth, there's just this indifference. It's just negligence and carelessness about something. In this passage, notice it doesn't say that this man owns a vineyard and he gets up one day and he grabs a sledgehammer and he goes out there and he just starts tearing down the walls. It doesn't say that. It doesn't say he goes to the local Home Depot and buys some thorn bushes and plants them in his vineyard. But what does it say that he does to this property that God's entrusted to him? He does nothing. <laughs> that's what he does. He just does nothing. And that's what the Bible talks of, means when it talks about sloth. It's this indifference, complacency, negligence. You know, it's interesting, even non-Christians see something about sloth that's dangerous. We have laws on our books about criminal negligence. Criminal negligence, that you can be arrested, charged, imprisoned in our country for having done nothing. If, If you have a child and you fail to provide them with nurture, a sanitary and safe environment, you can be jailed in our society why because we realize this is wrong you have a role you have a responsibility you have a calling that you're not fulfilling and it's criminal and of course that's true those are those are good laws but that's true for so many aspects of our lives right that god has given us multiple roles and responsibilities to be roommates to be students to be children of our parents, to, to be uh, contributors to society in different ways. God gives us all these roles and responsibilities, and the Bible reminds us that we're tempted to, to just push some of them off, perhaps, and not give them the value they really have. And when we do so, that is what we call negligence. You know, Jesus helps us understand sloth. There's, there's, there's one only one time we have on record in the Bible, Jesus using the word lazy. And it comes in a parable. You may remember it's the parable of the talents, where a master gives his servants talents to go out and to invest, to multiply. And the master finally calls his servants to account. What did you do with the talents? And you may remember the story, but one servant comes back, and all the servant had done was buried the talents in the ground and brought them back, right? Didn't steal didn't, uh, uh, you know, swindle the talents, but that Jesus in the parable says, the master says to his servant, you wicked, lazy servant. Why Why does Jesus refer to this servant as lazy? Because he did nothing. (laughs) That's right. That he had been entrusted with something, and he did nothing with it. And this is what the Bible comes back to over and over again, the idea of sloth. It's when God has entrusted something to us, and we have failed to do something with it. By the way, notice that if you want to understand sloth, the most repeated word in the passage that you heard this morning from Proverbs is the word little. A little sleep, a little slumber, a little folding of the hands to rest. Notice that sloth, uh, in, in other words, things don't fall apart typically because of some big, huge, grand event. But that sloth is typically gradual in the way it evidences itself in our lives, right? We let that one spat go unresolved, and that starts to build bitterness. We take that small root of bitterness and let it, let it start to uh, fester, right? We, we, we take that one glance at that website. You know, we, we do little things. You know, most marriages don't fall apart because of one simple big event. But typically, that big event was preceded by a whole lot of little things along the way. Your your personal finances aren't going to be just entirely wrecked through one bad decision. They're probably going to be wrecked because of a lot of small decisions along the way. It's typically the little the little the little things, as Proverbs remind us. But you know, Proverbs also reminds us if you want to understand sloth, it is stupid. Sloth is stupid. It says that. That's how the passage opens. It says, this sluggard is stupid. He lacks judgment. Sloth is futile, because here's what sloth, here's the way it works itself out. We tell ourselves, I want less biology in my life, so I'm just not going to give any attention to biology. But what happens as a result of that? What do you end up with? More biology, right? Trust me, go with me on this, okay? You end up with more of the thing that you're actually trying to push out of your life. That, in other words sloth is the most futile thing that you can try to engage in. That this, this vineyard owner what just really didn't want to take care of a vineyard. Does the vineyard owner now have less work to do in the field or more work to do in the field? He has more. But this is true in all of the aspects of our lives that we try to just act like God is not concerned about, right? If you avoid reconciling relationships with your roommates and friends and others, you will not have less relational stress in your life. You will have more relational stress in your life. If you you try to put off, you know, getting your money in order and handling your personal finances, you will not have less money issues, okay? You will have more money issues. That, in other words, sloth is the most futile thing because we try to evade something only to find when we get to the destination, there's more of it waiting on us. Sloth is a lie because it holds out a promise that, come, get away. But yet we find ourselves continually confronted. Sloth can't fulfill the promises that it makes to us. And so sloth is futile. It's it's built on futility. We try to avoid things only to find ourselves overwhelmed by those same things. But that brings us to the next thing we want to consider which is then how do we get how do we overcome sloth and it's simply by this it's we have to move from a perspective of futility to a perspective of faith from futility to faith in other words we have to stop looking at some parts of our lives like it's just not that big of a deal and we have to start looking at them through the eyes of scripture and see how christ sees these parts of our lives that instead of looking at some parts of our lives, they say, oh, it doesn't really matter. We have to start seeing how God is at work, even in those aspects of our lives and how he wants us to engage in them. You know, this, this happens in the Bible itself. Deuteronomy 1, God tells the Israelites, I'm giving you this land, go into it. But what happens? They send people out into the land who come back with a report, right? Oh, there's big scary monsters there. So let's just not go. It doesn't matter. It's too, too big. The, the, the problems are too big to overcome. Let's just do something else, right? That doesn't work out too well, right? God has to continually give them lessons over and over again like, no, 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 trust me. Go into that big scary place. Go confront that big scary part of your life, but just trust that when you step into that riverbed, I'm going to be there. You'll find me there. It looks big. It looks scary, and I know you don't want any part of it, but just trust me I'm there. I'll be there. I'll be your strength and weakness even when you get there. Lean into it. Trust me, God has to continually tell the Israelites, and that's his message to us this morning, right? That you have parts of your life that look like a big scary monster. That there are parts of your life that God put into your life that he's called you to, but you're just trying to keep at arm's length, trying to minimize. But God says, just just lean into it. Lean into it. You'll find me there. But, of course, the the perspective of faith that it takes to overcome sloth is the perspective of the resurrection. Once again, Jesus Christ is risen from the dead. He is Lord of all things, and so now all things take on new meaning. All things do matter. Our finances matter. Our sexual purity does matter. Our work matters. Our academic subjects, even biology, matters. I'm not quite sure how at times, it just matters, okay? but we have to have that perspective and I'll just be honest with you it is very hard at times to not feel like life is just one vicious cycle on repeat right that's how life feels a lot of times you feel like you're caught in these vicious cycles why why read this chapter I'm gonna have to read another chapter next right why do this paper when another one's just waiting on me that it's why change this diaper when just another diaper needs to be changed later And and you feel like life is just this vicious cycle on repeat at times. And there's truth to that. But of course, as Christians, we don't just view all those things in isolation. But rather, we see that even in those isolated tasks that we may be performing with somewhat of the drudgery that accompanies it, that, that God is using us as his agents in this world. That he's using us to form the lives of children. That he's using you right now. He's using these subjects, these classes that you may dread. He's actually using them to prep you to be a contributor in his world. That he's using all these things to make the world reconciled, to redeem it, to renew it. And he's having us to be part of his project. You know, Martin Luther tells the story about coming across a construction site of a cathedral one day and he comes across a, a, a carpenter, and he approaches the carpenter and says, what are you doing? And the carpenter says, I'm framing a door. And so he moves on to another part of the construction site and comes upon a glassmaker, asks the glassmaker, what are you, what are you doing? He says, I'm fashioning a window. He comes upon a third worker who's uh, laying bricks, and he says, what are you doing? And, and the bricklayer looks and says, I'm building a cathedral. Now notice the difference in the answers, right? that it's very tempting to look at life like the first two people. I'm doing task in isolation. That's all I'm doing. But the perspective of faith looks at it like the third one. The perspective of faith says, yes, I'm just putting brick upon brick upon brick upon brick, but I'm part of something much bigger. I'm part of something much bigger, that God is actually using me as part of his construction project in this world. He's using me and my skills that he's given me. He's using them to renew and to redeem this world. That we're part of a cathedral construction project. And we need to be reminded of that, because that's what redeems us and lifts us out of the mire of sloth. It's what gets us out of bed and into the vineyard to to go into those parts of life that are less than desirable. Here's what the perspective of faith does as we move away from the perspective of futility. That what it does, as we think about what it means that Christ is risen from the dead and that he is Lord of all things, it means that there are things in our lives that right now seem like an immense waste of time. But from the perspective of the resurrection, those things we now see as an immense privilege. An immense privilege. And in fact, this morning, I wish I could do what maybe some of you wish you could do, which is I want to go back and talk to 10th grade Andy Jones. And I would tell him a lot of things. I would tell him a lot of things about acne care, among other things. (laughs) I would have a long talk with Andy Jones. But if I could go back, I would look at him, because I was a confessing Christian at the time, and I would say, Andy, I know biology seems meaningless to you. I know it doesn't seem like it's immediately useful material. But you are getting the opportunity to study the way that, that your father has ordered this world. And it may not seem important to you. And in fact, you may never use some of this stuff. Hint, hint. You may never use some of this stuff. But that doesn't mean it doesn't have value. This is your father's world. Study it. Adore him for it. Get to know it better. And this morning, maybe you need to have that talk. And so my question for you is simply this. uh, What is your biology class? (laughs) You know, what, what part of your life this morning... Are you tempting to avoid, escape responsibility from, but it's part of what God has assigned to you? What's your field? What's your vineyard that you'd rather just finish the Netflix marathon than go tend to? What, what, what is that part of your life? And my encouragement to you this morning is uh, Jesus has already taken all your sloth on the cross. And, and, and God's not angry with you anymore about your negligence. That crime has been paid for. But even better he's inviting you this morning to be part of his construction project, to believe that he's actually at work in things that you just can't envision him to be at work in. And so this morning, go step into that river. Go confront that big, scary monster. Know that God is there. Know that Jesus is risen, that it all matters. It will change you, and God will use it to change others as well. Pray with me. Gracious God, we thank you that you're redeeming our sloth, that you're rescuing us from meaninglessness, and that you are helping us to see the, the precious opportunity and privilege we have to participate with you in this world. Father, we ask this morning that you would forgive us for looking at aspects of our lives as though they have no meaning or value. Forgive us. Father, whether it's an academic subject or something much more uh, personal, we pray, Father, uh, help us this morning to not just repent, but to look with faith at the things you've given to us, to act with faith, and to believe that you're at work even when we can't see you at work. Father, we pray, help us to be mindful of the callings you've given us. We thank you that you are much more faithful than we will ever be. Grant us uh, the power that we need today to do the work you've called us to, and we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.